Hello. Morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good, good. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, if you want, we'll uh, pray and we'll praise God. Uh, Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for the beautiful days we've had. Today, yesterday, remind us of what's inevitably coming, and we praise you in both. Uh, we're grateful for all that we have, and uh, we just pray that we remember that every day, and we never take anything for granted, God. Uh, so we're here for you this morning as we sing these songs to praise you and reaffirm our faith and to proclaim it. I uh, just pray for our hearts and minds to be on you as we do so. Pray for Leonard as he preaches, that we hear your word today. Pray for clarity of thought for him and for our ears and hearts to be open to you today. So we just uh, pray for a great morning for your kingdom. We pray for the youth as they're away, or some of them, uh, for youth explosion, just all the young lives that are involved in that and being affected and worked on and shown your love. Pray for a great time for them, for the rest of the youth and the, the lives helping them this morning. Pray for your blessing on everything that goes on in that part uh, of, the, of the church this morning. Um, so may it be a great day for you and your kingdom. Uh, we love you and we give this time to you, God. Amen.
God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea. My God holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the
Let's sing that chorus one more time, just the words. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Amen. Marina, you may be seated. Kids, you're dismissed. Well, I got to qu- ask the question How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing with the time change? Okay, how's everybody doing with the weather change? Okay, so I get a baseline here on how everybody's doing. But you know, at the end of the day, God is still good. And he calls us to gather, and hopefully, uh, if you're like me, when you leave this gathering, you come away encouraged. You come away blessed and a sense of, hey, I'm ready for the week now. And I think that is probably just the way God designed it. And I hope that as you gather with us, that is your experience. And I hope if you've been here for a while, part of our calling is to help people to have that experience as we follow God's prompting and the words that we say to each other, the words of encouragement, the words that hopefully... kind of spark our faith rather than squash our faith and uh, for me whenever I see that happen I just I'm just excited because I know that you are going into that process of being changed and renewed and made into Christ likeness and uh, that that's that's a success story well as we gather I just want to focus on a few things out of the gate Uh, first of all we have some uh, announcements you know we have our big Thanksgiving gathering coming up uh, just uh, just about a week away, or a little over a week away, rather. And uh, we need some desserts yet, uh, so if you want to help out with that, uh, please, uh, please let us know. And um, we are looking forward to just being able to put that together, and hopefully uh, with the shortage of turkeys and things that have been happening, we can have God's manna for that moment. Yeah, Rachel. Okay. Mm-hmm. How can there ever be a shortage of pumpkin pies? How can there be too many pumpkin pies? How can there ever be, okay, 30 or 40? Well, if you guys have access, I, I probably could get rid of them for you. So, but uh, we have plenty of that. So if you want to offer something different, um, please uh, uh, just follow that, that lead. And um, hopefully we can bless a lot of people on that day. And we'll be praying about that as we go into our prayer time. Um, also, I just want to lift up a few prayer concerns. Definitely want to keep Peg Panzot lifted up. She's going in for some treatments on Friday, and she's really had a difficult time metabolizing uh, uh, just the vital, vital things like calcium and minerals and things that make your body work like it should. Uh, so hopefully she can get her iron sorted out and everything that makes the system work happen. So be praying for Peg on Friday. Uh, I know John uh, and Peg would appreciate that. And also, uh, uh, Twyla France um, lost a, a daughter. Uh, so I don't know if you guys ever met her daughter, Denise, but Denise passed away uh, evidently this week. I uh, just found this out this morning. Uh, so please keep Twyla lifted up. She's had quite a rough go of it, and I know that um, she leans on you guys for support, and it's just been a season for her. Okay, well, anything that you're celebrating, anything that you want to praise the Lord about, or anything that's a burden that you want to have us lift up uh, together, we're, we're here for that. Okay. I'm happy for 
Rod retired totally. Awesome, congratulations, Rod. Now, does that mean retired from like honeydew list or is it basically a pivot into a new line of work? Okay, all right, just not trying to meddle, but maybe I am, okay? That's cool, congratulations. Anything else? All right, it's good to celebrate stuff like that. Uh, it's just uh, part of the way that we trust God for the blessings and the transitions uh, of life. So let's uh, go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our message time. Our Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for what you're doing in our church and the lives of our people. And we know, Father, it's not uh, at, um, at the separation or at the um, negation of struggles and challenges, but it is always you in them with us. And so, Father, when we face them in your strength, we know that we in some way can overcome as we trust you along the way. And I just pray for uh, people here who are going through personal struggles with their health, people are, who are online who are gathering, uh, who may also be experiencing a time of deep trial. I just ask, Father, that you would uh, come alongside in a way that makes your presence known and felt. And um, there could be something drawn from that that would be encouraging and, and just uh, allow for the, the perseverance that um, life requires of us. And we pray as a body that we can be in tune with those needs for our people around us and we can minister one to another as we have been equipped and are, are continuing to be equipped for that. I pray, Father, for Peg, especially as she goes in Friday, that you would just bless everything uh, that's being uh, brought to bear upon uh, the moment that she's in and the needs that she has. I pray for wisdom and guidance to be with those you have called here on earth to be healers. And as our great physician, I pray that your healing touch would be upon Peg as your daughter in the Lord. And I pray, Father, that you'd be a Twyla who is going through a season of grief already. I just ask, Father, that you would continue to sustain her in this time where she's um, lost a niece, and I pray, Father, that you would give her um, uh, what she needs now in terms of your, your care and your provision and just your help to be with her and her family. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of our people here and especially the opportunity our kids have had to go to Youth Explosion. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them as they've taken in so much, and I ask that it would be a place where they could mark it in their own personal timeline, and they could say, yeah, you know what, I really saw you and, and, and came to know you in a deeper way here, and perhaps uh, that will be a catalyst for things ahead. So bless Amy and, and just the people helping out with our youth and all of our kids, that uh, it would be a fruitful moment. And as we just come back to the, the setting of our church and we think about the hospitality that we want to offer to the community, we pray for your blessing to be upon our Thanksgiving dinner as we just make it known that we are here to bless. We are here to carry that, that sense of who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do into the lives of the people that hopefully we will see you in us. And so I pray for us as a church that we would be prepared to be engaged with anyone that is looking for you and the only place that they have to look, really, in their world right now is us. Help us to be faithful representatives of your glory and your presence as we gather for church on a regular basis and as we take 
what you are doing in our lives and are faithful and obedient with it as we apply it in our lives and in our relationships with others. So I just love to see, Father, you continue that work that you've been doing, the stuff that we're seeing happening, the ways that you've postured us to look out and ask the questions, what are the needs within the community? And we thank you for people like uh, Chris and Corey Brock who have said we have particular ways that we want to service the, the hurt and the wounding of, of women within our community. And we ask, Father, that you would be with um, uh, just the, the, the cross-section of missionaries that we support both locally and, and regionally and nationally and internationally. And the relationships that we have with those people and places and what they're doing, Lord, continue to forge those bonds. We thank you, Father, for this month that we've, we've sort of dedicated to the notion of blessing as we've thought about our missions and the people that bring a face to what we've been supporting and the relationships that have been re-cemented. And we know that their role is to bring the good news in forms of salvation, in forms of earthly help and blessing in ways that hopefully just are an attractional dynamic that when they see the people that are sent, they call on the name of Jesus and are saved. Um, we thank you, Father, for helping us to be resourced so that we can be a blessing. We thank you, Father, for just all the ways that you've been working in our church these last few years to bring alignment and to recenter us in the realities of why a church exists in the first place. Father, I just pray for your blessing upon the message that my words would be reflective of your purpose for this moment. And for everybody here, that our hearts would be open to receiving what you are saying to us in your own mysterious way. And I thank you, Father. So help us to be in that, in that appropriate posture and space in our hearts and our minds, our spirits, as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer with us, um, you may not realize it, but that is one big way that we try to equip you as, uh, as, as the leadership of the church in knowing the DNA of who we are as believers and how we live and what's important to us. And if you look carefully at the Lord's Prayer, it's not just a liturgical ritual that we do every week, but rather it is more than that. It is an expression of the things that we are asking God to manifest in, in the lives that we live. And there's a lot going on when you pray the Lord's Prayer, more than you probably even know. And as we pray it, we are asking God to do some things. And one of the most important things is we are asking God for his kingdom to come on earth as it already is in heaven. That is the, the reality of God's lordship over the lives of his people and ultimately over the whole earth eventually. And as that is a prayer, it is a way of saying, I am aligning my heart and my mind with what you desire, Lord, and if it's important for us to pray the Lord's Prayer every week, 
then it's probably important for us to ask the question, what is it about that prayer that is so important? And if you've taken to heart, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which I've seen many of you start to just engage with that, you're thinking about the places where you live, the needs in the community, and the gap between where people are at in their hurt and in their brokenness and their struggle and where God wants them to be in the new life that they can have in Christ. And we should never forget that because once we do, then um, we become something other than what the church is supposed to be. And this series that um, we've been, been doing in November is really centered on the mission of the church, the responsibility and the stewardship of the gospel that we have and how we can stay aligned with that. A church can only move forward at the speed of alignment. Um, because have you ever heard of herding cats? Let's just, let's just think about that for a minute. How many of you have cats? How many of your cats get along? Yes, some of them do, most don't. I have two. And I'm like, you guys are cats. You should be cats versus dog. But in our world, it is cat and dog versus other cat. And there's just something not right about the lack of alignment here. So one will want food, and that prompts another one to say, I need to go out, which prompts another one to say, I need attention right now. And so as one's digging their claw on your leg, the other one's saying, because he's part Siamese, he's super chatty, he's saying, I need food in various languages and dialects. And then the dog's at the door barking, I need to go. That is a day in the life at the Moore household. A good day is when everybody is just doing what they're supposed to be doing, which in this case is just not being obnoxious. But God has a greater expectation for you and I and that is to be aligned on the things that define this organization. And sometimes, over time, organizations and institutions can get to a place where we kind of forget why we're even doing what we're doing. And so I, we're going to explore that today as um, we go through some scriptures and we think about why we're doing what we're doing and, and, and if you're going into Thanksgiving and you have all these traditions, sometimes you're making dishes that will be an expression of what was passed down from a grandmother to a, uh, a mother to a daughter. And if it's like our house, some of those get kind of a little bit sideways along the way. Like my mom, I don't know. What is it about that generation out of the Great Depression? They won't tell you all their secrets. And so when Mandy was asking her for a recipe on how to make the noodles, well, you need about an eggshell full of this and a handful of that and just a whole bunch of vague sort of instructions. So we tried it once, and it wasn't the same. And we discovered at the store they make some that are almost as good. And if we have to show up with a bowl of that stuff, then we just don't even say anything. Uh, we're don't, we don't say, oh, yeah, they're from a bag. We're just like, yeah, they're, don't think anything of it. It was nothing. But those traditions that are handed down, sometimes they get sideways a little bit, and they get confused, and they don't become what they're supposed to become. 
Or the proverbial story that has been, I don't know if it's true or not, it's probably apocryphal. But it's about the couple who says whenever they, you know, when they, when they bought the roast and they were bringing it home to cook it for a large gathering, um, the daughter would cut the ends off of the roast. Maybe you've heard the story. And then she would put it in the oven and, you know, leave it there to bake. And the husband asked the, the, the wife, well, why is it that you are um, uh, baking this roast in that way? Why do you cut the ends off? That seems like perfectly good meat. And she says, well, it's because... My mother used to do this, and that's how she taught me how to cook a roast. And so um, this, this elicited an investigation. And so they approached grandmother, and grandmother was asked, why is it that in your recipe it requires you to cut these ends off? And she said, because when my mother cooked it, we had a very small oven and I think you can fill in the rest. And so that, um, that's how things happen. Sometimes we do stuff because that's just the how of doing it. But you have to revisit the question, don't you? Well, why are you doing it? It's not, you know, like that obnoxious kid that has, if you've had kids, you know, there's a moment where they say, why? And then you say, because and then they say why and you give a smaller answer and then they say why and then it's like by the seventh why you're like can we just move on and there is a sense of inquiry that gets shut down sometimes and kids forget to ask the question why adults forget to ask the question why and when it comes to the church we periodically have to ask why why do we gather why is it so important and if we can't remember the why, then maybe we're cutting off the ends of the meat without recognizing that there's something behind that story that we need to know. And so when Jesus had begun his ministry, he had presented a vision of what God was up to that didn't really make a lot of sense to the religious leaders. And as we've gone through the book of Luke this year, We've seen him have exchanges with religious leaders about opinions, about how you should do things that relate to how you know God. And it would appear that oftentimes there was a conflict about that process, and it really centered on the fact that there were guys who were trying to be faithful to the covenant that they had with God as a people. And as Pharisees and um, other religious leaders, scribes and Sadducees and so forth, their sense was we're preserving the tradition. And that is, a noble, that is a noble calling and an important calling, a necessary calling. But what Jesus would say to them is, um, you've heard it said, but actually this is the way it's supposed to be. And what he's undercutting is that sense of, well, we've always kind of done it this way, but it's morphed over time into something that is unrecognizable. And by that time, it created a huge amount of barriers between the people of God and the God that they are called to worship. And those barriers still exist, not just in the church, but outside of the church. But the need remains the same always. And that is you and I were designed to be in a relationship with God, an everyday relationship with God. For many of us, and I hope all of us, we could say that that relationship is the most vital and sacred thing in my life. Without it, everything else doesn't make sense. 
It is a life-giving relationship that I lean on heavily. And perhaps as you go through life, you lean even more because the struggles get even greater. And God is always faithful. And there's something that's so special about seeing people who've been with him a long time and have recognized the value of keeping that relationship healthy. Now, Jesus was trying to restore that aspect, that personal aspect of the relationship. And as he was doing that, um, he was talking to a lot of people who, in their mind, what happened as the people were called out of Egypt and they were led to the promised land and they were given the law and all of the commentaries on the law uh, that Moses gave, the Ten Commandments and so forth, that became the thing that they they, they stuck with, they adhered to. They would not let go. It was the sacred tradition. And when Jesus spoke, a lot of times he drew on that sacred tradition. But he also expanded it into some of the things that the prophets were saying, like Isaiah, who he quoted quite a bit. In Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, we read these, these words. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, Behold, I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And essentially what, what's being said is we're not abandoning the things of the past. We're, and like anything, you should honor the things of the past. And, and one thing I, as a sidebar, I've appreciated about Amy coming is she said, I really want to honor what's been done. And, you know, I don't want to just be totally disruptive, but rather I want to do the things that, 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 uh, that I can calibrate what is important to this body of people and what is it that we need to move into in terms of change. And I really respect that sense of honoring the past and the people that have been responsible for leading us to that moment. But when Jesus is reading through Isaiah so much and even quotes it in his first sermon, one of the things it talks about is his coming. And when Isaiah talks about is coming, he said that in the past, the big event was the exodus. I mean, apart from the creation, the most important thing that happened with God's people was uh, they found an identity in the wilderness uh, through Moses. And Jesus is telling them, there's another big event. And I'm actually that big event. I am that new thing. And um, the, 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 the mention is made of I... I, I need a way in the wilderness to be paved. That is like building a road in the wilderness or pouring um, water into a riverbed in a desert that's been dry. This is a monumental epic task that is a God-sized task. But the language leads up to the coming of Jesus as that new thing. And, um, and, and we read about that with John the Baptist making straight the way of the Lord. Just trying to remove any barriers that are getting in the way for people to see who Jesus truly is. And if you were to ask a question, you know, what, what is our job in light of that story? Which is our story? We've just on-ramped onto that story out of place on the timeline. But all the stuff we read in the Old Testament is about the people of God and what that relationship looks like with them and God. And now that that's been handed to us, what it looks like 
for us through Jesus. We are, we are still living in that long tradition. And as we do, Jesus is having to reset it once again. And this is sort of a graphic of, uh, that would kind of summarize, if you will, why First Christian Church is a thing. And probably if there's anything that we are called to do, the most important thing is to help people to know God. Not be a barrier, not create a wilderness um, place where he's hard to access, but rather we want other people to recognize that God is available and he's easily accessible through his church, through his people, and ultimately through Jesus. He can be known and he can be known in an instant. And that is good news. That is good news. Um, and as you gather with a group of people in a church, which by design, God says, I can't just save you and just leave you. I mean, there's no question God can save us. And some people choose after they get saved, hey, I, I, I just don't want to come to church. And my encouragement to you would be, you need to come because that's just the first part of it. It gets, it gets challenging, but it, it gets super good whenever you come to church and you find a connection with like-minded people, and you start to share your stories, and you start to find out that the struggles you're having really mirror mine. I thought I was the only one. And I love it whenever that begins to happen because you start to see people expand in their ability to find, it takes on a life of its own. Because one thing you say, I believe in Jesus and I have faith, but have you ever tried to have, have you ever started a friendship with somebody and um, it, it kind of got off the ground and then you let it go for five years, 10 years, 20 years? You can honestly say that person is your friend and you could probably call them and they would probably say, hey, I will respond in a heartbeat. But there's something about relationships where we influence one another just through the day in and day out of it that makes them lively and robust. And if I, I have, I'm embarrassed to say I have a couple of people from my college that I really bonded with that I just haven't talked to in, it's been decades. And if somebody were to say, are you and so-and-so friends, I would have to say, yes, I am, but um, I really don't know much about him and I know he doesn't know much about me. I wouldn't call that much of a relationship, would you? But in effect, that's what God is saying. If you're not part of his body in real time, seeing him work in real time through us, which I've been seeing a lot lately, um, you're not really seeing that relationship in the quality, uh, uh, to the degree of quality that he wants us to experience. And I just love it when people come, and I see this as a pastor. This is the cool thing about being a pastor. I think I know most of you in this room, and I've had some pretty good conversations with many of you. And I know where you're at at a particular place on the timeline. And, and if you've been here long enough, I've seen you move forward in that. And then what I've also seen is you guys grow. And I've seen you trust God at deeper levels. But I seen, have seen alongside that the challenges that you, you faced. And I've seen some people who aren't here where they came to that point of challenge, and they say, you know what, God disappointed me. He let me down, and I'm out. And part of me wonders if those 
people who are brothers and sisters in the Lord that have said, I'm disappointed with God, I, I, I'm over him and I'm over it, I'm over the church. I just wonder if when they gathered, they were able to create a connection. And if there's one thing that churches need to do, they need to gather for the purpose of creating a connection. And I've seen it and experienced it in, I, I could say, three ways. One of them is I see people have a lot of one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two conversations. And those can really kind of go deep and hearts can really be laid bare. And I've seen people gather where you've got a group of people, and let's just say 12 for, for, for biblical purposes, and there's something special that happens when we are in a, in a room of believers, semi-small group, and one of us has a crisis. And it is so cool to see that group of people rally around that person and help them in their, in their struggle. And a lot of times, I know that person would not share that with just me as the pastor. And it would probably just go unnoticed. But whenever you're in a group of people like that, a small group of people, Something happens that reinforces your faith in such a way that keeps you strong. And I would even say that some of those things that become a deal breaker for us with God when we say, I'm so disappointed that, that I trusted you, I'm faithful, I've tithed, I've given, and now this. I just don't know. If you are disconnected from a group of people, it's going to be likely that that's going to challenge you to the core so much that you may lose heart. But if you are connected to a people, whether it's a few people or whether it's a larger group, I can, I can assure you they're going to do their very best to make sure that you are encouraged and you have what you need in terms of support and prayer and, and, and just loving, being loved on. And I think that will make the difference between um, – languishing and ultimately falling away or staying strong. Some, some people I know feel like, well, why do I need to go to church? I'm not getting much out of it. But have you ever considered the thought that there's somebody there that God is saying, I need you for them right now? And maybe it's not about you getting anything out of it in this season, but, and we hope you do get something out of it, by the way, but, but it's about them needing you to be there and i wish i could just telegraph that to to everyone and i and i and i'm including myself in that that there are times when you don't feel like going to church and god says but i need you to go and apply your life to that situation because i got stuff i want to do through you and i may surprise you god is the king of surprises and that is the life-giving aspect of why we gather and we gather in a room like this because part of my role and um, and those who are up here we're to be a catalyst for you and your faith our hope is that that we've we've done our due diligence and preparation that god is working in your heart prior to coming in here and when he comes in here he takes what i say and you know, let's say we have 80, 90 people in here today. Every one of you, if you are open, he says, now this is for you. And I've been doing this long enough that I just leave that to the mysterious 
powerful, all-knowing, capable presence of God to work in your life and mine, but you have to be open to hearing it. And when that happens in a large group like this, you come away energized in your faith. You come away with this sense of expectancy that God is going to do something in your week. He's going to show up somewhere in your week, and you just have to watch for him and trust that um, he's going to help you in whatever it is that the week's adventure is going to unfold for your life. And as you look at what we're doing here, we are hopefully creating a sense of health and alignment around key biblical ideas that inform the DNA of the church. And it's not just for us to say, hey, I feel good about my faith, but it's for us to be able to leave here and help other people understand and grow and know that there's a God who loves them deeply. And we want to make a difference in that way. And as you read the scripture, um, you find in John 17, uh, a beautiful long prayer that Jesus prayed before he was getting ready to be crucified. And his hope was the people that are going to come generations after me, decades, millennia after me, that they would know you. And so this is sort of an all-inclusive prayer until he comes back. And he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that is, that is the thing that he said, I want this to happen. And he's looking at his 12 followers and he's saying, I want you to be aligned on that prayer. I want people to know me as you bring me into their world. Now, we live in an information economy. All of us have, we have a relationship with a computer. We have a relationship with information. And a lot of our jobs are centered on how we engage with that process and disseminate it, act on it. And it really is, at the end of the day, a lot of words. And you can look at your faith as you read the Bible as a lot of words, and if I just get the words right, then I'm good. But that's not really what the Bible says. It's important that we get the words right, but the words are just a vehicle to carry the reality of something that the words aren't. And when God gives us information, it's embodied information. The word know that is used there is the same word that was used in the opening words of Matthew when it talked about the Holy Spirit knowing Mary, okay? There was an intimacy about that. It wasn't just, hey, the Holy Spirit gave Mary some information. No, he overshadowed her in a way that she was overwhelmed by God's presence. And it's a mysterious kind of knowing, but the, but the outcome of that was a confidence and a certainty, not in the information, but in the God who overshadowed her in a way that she could say, I, I know him. And if you've ever had to meet somebody on a Zoom call, and you kind of get to know them a little bit on the Zoom call, you're like, I, I know them sort of in two dimensions, you know, width and height and their voice, and that's about it. But then you go from that Zoom call experience to meeting them personally, and you're like, oh, wow, you're a lot different in person. I'm taking in so much now because we're having a conversation. We're talking not about just work, but about different things that uh, pertain to life. 
And there's a kind of knowing that happens that when you meet the person firsthand, face-to-face, nothing digital has the capacity. There isn't a one or a zero that is capable enough to bring that kind of knowledge to bear upon your life. And if a person is saying, how do I know God? Well, we could just quote scripture and say, well, there you know him, but that's not really what God is after. He's after that person being able to relate to God as God is alive inside of you, as God is with you, as God is seen in your life. And as you have a posture that's so charitable towards them that says, "Um, I'm here with something different. What I'm about is really bringing the presence of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the love of God, and all the fruit of the Spirit, which you've seen hopefully in my life. I want you to have that. God wants you to have that. And that's the kind of knowing that Jesus is talking about. And so if somebody were to ask, why does first Christian meet? I would say we have been here Did you know we have been here since 1859? Not in the building. The building's sort of like the car that we're driving right now. But the people that embody the reality of the church have continuously been here since 1859. Anybody around in 1859? No, I mean, I've buried some older people here, but nobody could go back and say, Hey, I was there then. But it's so cool to think about that because something has happened in this group of people as they've gathered at different places on the timeline that God has said, I can use them for my kingdom purposes, and I will use them. Now, what's so fascinating is how when people look at the life cycle of a business or an organization or something that is typical of a church, They will say, people being people, they'll follow the trajectory of the roast that gets the ends cut off. After a while, they'll move from the why and all the energy that goes into the why to the how. And they'll get to a place where they'll debate the how so much and not really question the why. And this is a critical moment, not just for a church, but for any organization that you've seen come and go. And, and people that are nerds, kind of like myself a little, they track that stuff and they say, well, how would you explain the pattern? Is there a pattern here? And they would say, yeah, you know, at the bottom of this S-curve is uh, everybody gets a vision and they have this fire in the belly and they want to bring the value that they've experienced to bear upon the lives of other people. And so believers gather in 1859, and they say, we want to formalize as a church for this community called Salem, Ohio. And we want to be a representative of the things of God here. And so when they gather in 1859, that's what they did, and, and it grew. And, um, and, and, and we've been here ever since. But the interesting thing about the life cycle is every 40 or 50 years, Every organization goes to a place where there is doubt and uncertainty about where it's headed. We just kind of land there. If you've ever worked for somebody that was the founder of a business and then their son got that business and their son understood the struggle of the founder, understood what the founder had to sacrifice 
and what the founder's vision was to add value and became really good. And so the son was able to tweak that and make it even better. And then that son had a son who kind of knew the grandfather, but not so much. And then pretty soon one day he comes back from college with his degree or whatever. And now he's running the business. But for whatever reason, it's not the same. Oftentimes. And then if he manages to keep it going, then another son comes on the scene and it's a critical moment because he'll have no idea other than he was blessed to live in a family that was pretty well resourced and he just wants to keep that going. That's a different experience than a guy that says, I'm listening to my friends and the people in my community and they say, we really need this. And I'm asking myself, how can we do this? And then all of a sudden, we've got an organization or a business or something going, and we do it, and it thrives. It's the same for a church. And if you figure, you do the math from 1859 to now, we're right on schedule. We are actually in that place where we've gone through a season of doubt and uncertainty. And it's really been a moment because if you look where the lines cross, that's the make or break moment. That's the moment that says, well, they've forgotten why they're doing what they're doing. Or the moment that says, we're doing what we're supposed, we are, we are trying to re-remember who we are so that we can recapture why we were here in the first place. And I have to say, during the COVID moment, I was so proud of our elders for asking the question, who are we? Why are we here? And it was so, I don't know, it was so wonderful for me to say, everything I've learned in my, in my tenure as a pastor is that we have to never forget the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And we have to think about the quality of life that is created when people gather. And that's Acts 2, especially 42 through 46. And then we have to think about when people gather and they're experiencing that quality of life, I know what people say next is, how can I get involved? It's sort of like you go from so what to so that. And that life-giving experience creates in you a desire to do something that will bring the excitement and the goodness of why God, how God has shown up in your life so well that you want other people to have that. And if we're able to generate that in our church by going back to those fundamentals, then I think God will take that S-curve and he will say, we're actually going to bring it back up again and we're going to start a new cycle. And I feel like because we have honored that DNA, God is saying it's time for that new cycle to take on a life of its own. And, and, and that excites me because I know where, where we are at in the moment. And part of me says, God, how come I couldn't have just been the second generation guy? You know, just sort of followed that guy. But it is what it is. It's a hand we're dealt. And he's asking each of us in our church, and he's asking churches around the community, do you remember why you were here in the first place? And four times, because if you do the math, this is the fourth cycle for FCC. Four times our church has had to ask the question, do you know why you're here? And four times, our forefathers have responded and said, this is why we're here. And it is our stewardship now in this moment 
But the cool thing about that graphic, if I could have you put that back on with the, uh, the one prior to the S-curve, is um, when I see people praying kingdom prayers for our community, for each other, for our church, and I see the Holy Spirit begin to work, the, the ground level experience to me is I have weird conversations. Oh, you were thinking that too. I don't know how many conversations I've had like that, but it's just God's way of working that alignment experience at the supernatural level. But he's not able to do that if each of us are like my cats. I need this. I want that. All of us have to say, Lord, what do you want? And then we have to have the willingness to say, as hard as it is for me to surrender to that, help me to do that. But you also have to pray for the leaders, that the leaders like myself and the elders will have the conviction to stay on task with that. Because our goal isn't to help FCC survive. I'm not interested in helping FCC survive. I'm interested in helping First Christian Church to be true to our calling. And if we gather, Jesus begins to restore us, and he brings our lives back into order like he did the 12 for three years. And then when he was getting ready to go, he said these words. He said, um, as they found a richness in life that said, we're not going back. We're not going back to our jobs. We're not going back to the way of life. You've done something to us that you can't unring the bell now. We're with you. And for three years, Jesus patiently walked with these guys and in, in Luke chapter 7, it is a dark chapter because they're saying, call down fire. And they're saying, make me sit on your right hand and left hand. And they're saying stuff that is alluding to the fact that they're just bringing a bunch of worldly values to bear. And Jesus calls them out on every one of them. He says, you can no longer think like that. And by the time he's sending them out, they got a pretty good handle on it. Well, Jesus comes to a place where he's getting ready to go. And he has some parting words. And near the end, he takes them to a mountain that oversees all of the pathways that lead into that region that are trade routes. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's settled. There are no forces that are greater than, than, than me right now. And when he said that, he implied everything up there and everything here is now under my domain. But I can't force people to follow that. I can only invite them to be a part of it. Otherwise, in whatever way, they're against it. And so he says, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, and I would say teaching them to apply the everyday reality of your faith and mine to the everyday experiences. All the things that I've said, this is how you should live. And behold, I am, I am with you always. You may feel from time to time that Jesus is nowhere to be found, but I don't think he's a liar. I truly believe 
but he's always been with us. But I don't know that we've always been with him. And as he calls you and I into that place, he's preparing us to scatter. Because a lot of the work that's to be done is done out there. And I think it's great that we call people to gather with us and worship so they can capture a vision for who we are and why we do what we do. They can know the, the love of one another and the encouragement and the experience of that. But I also believe that when you go out into the spaces that God has said, this is where you are at right now under my will and purpose, he's asking you every week, how are you bringing me to bear upon them? And some of you may be overwhelmed at that notion because it's easy to just come here and stop and leave it at that. But Jesus, by design, has made the church as not the end-all and be-all, but basically the chassis for the car that represents the kingdom. And it just goes to a variety of places and spaces and offers, as God prompts, whatever word that we need to give. And at times it's just, hey, can I pray for you? I heard you're struggling. And you, you know I go to church. I'm not going to beat you over the head with my religion, but I just, I, I just want to pray for you. Do you mind? And it's amazing how disarming that is. Even though the culture says don't talk about your faith, there are a lot of people right now. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever had anybody say, no, you can't pray for me. I've had a lot of people find out I'm a Christian and sort of disconnect. But I wonder if it's because we haven't been well represented. And hopefully as we've represented Jesus to you today, just a part of who he is, as he's at work in us, that said something to you. Because his hope is that he can call from every part of the world, including the world of Salem, as many people that are willing to hear that he is here for them. He is here for you. He came, he suffered, he died for you. He rose again for you. And he desires at the deepest part of his being, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, he desires to bring you into a new way of life with him, actually life eternal with him. And we make that appeal every Sunday. And as we do that, we're trusting that God is working in your heart and he's stirring things up. And if he's stirring things up, maybe saying you need to talk to the pastor after the service. Or talk to somebody that you know that you trust here. And say, how can, I, how can I know him better? And that's why we're here. So as we just conclude today, that's why you're here. The DNA of the church centers on gathering. And we need to stay on message. To remember at this critical place, in, in these critical times, God needs us to be faithful to the message that he gave us a long time ago. And that's a, that is a call out to the church. And if 
I'm not a predictor of outcomes. I don't presume the outcomes. But my belief is, if you're worried about First Christian Church, you shouldn't be. If we're doing this, God will honor it. God will bless it. God will use it, and he'll use you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that there is so much happening in this room that is spiritually defined. And we're in this room because the reality of your presence is not far away. You have promised that you will be with us always. And so we stand before your throne in a spirit of petition, not for our church as much as we've found alignment and movement forward in it, but for the community around us that is lost and broken and confused, living in their limbic system where they're just flight or fight or living in a space where you say, I have so much more for you. I just ask you help us as a church as we move into this new season where things are happening in our community, hearts are being stirred in churches, that there is a new level of alignment in the way that your kingdom is being brought to bear. And I thank you for what we've seen with places like uh, Sophia House and um, Brightside Project and what Chris and Corey Brock are doing. And as we have conversations with them, how much it's sort of like one starts a sentence and the other one finishes it. And that can be attributed to nothing less than you. And on the scale of the personal, Lord, I know that's how you're working as well in our hearts. And I pray that there are, if there are any barriers, if there's any wilderness in our hearts that you're wanting to displace and make the path, I just ask that you help us to see you in that and see you working. And I pray if there's anyone here that needs rescued from the domain of darkness that is overshadowing our world right now, that you would give them the will and the desire to step into the life and light of your kingdom and your church. And so be at work in every heart here, however you design. May we have a spirit of surrender and openness, wanting not only to obey, but to actually apply the realities of our faith because the times really require it. So bless our people, Lord, as we gather. And I pray this in Jesus' name. It's one way for us to focus on the main thing. The bread helps us focus on Jesus' body that he sacrificed for us so that we and many others can have eternal life. The cup helps us to focus on the blood he shed that provides forgiveness for our sins. This time of communion helps us focus on the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, and then rose from the dead. It helps us focus on our task to tell others about the good news of God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you helping us, asking you to help us to focus on communion, asking us, asking you to help us to focus on what, what the main thing should be about. We ask that you help us to pre prepare our hearts for this meal. We ask that you just help us in the challenge that we've been given 
through the message this morning, that you help us to focus on you, help us to focus on your grace, and help us to focus on the needs that are around us so that we can share your gospel of grace to those around us. In your son's name we pray. stand and we'll close in song.
Father, we praise you this morning. We pray you be with everybody as we go from this place. Help us show you to everyone we can and put you first in everything. God, we love you. Amen. Hope you all have a nice week.